the extended mix of, oh. of no they're so beautiful and the maverick um the maverick imprint it's just so gorgeous this is the first one with the maverick one. really yeah. oh i love it that one's so cheap. I mean, the Bye Bye Baby one, they literally, you know, went to like the king. You know how much that was? That was like $17 to get oh, that. Because it was, it was, a, it was an import. Yeah, it was I an remember import. It wasn't, it wasn't here. Yeah. This is Mark. And this is Kenny. And this is All I Want to Do is Talk About Madonna. Album six, track four. Deeper and deeper. Oh, <laughs> This is, you know, this is what we've been building to for the first three tracks. It's like she's holding back, holding back, and now she's like, all right, kids, you want the big fat hit? Here it is, motherfuckers. Instant classic, an yes. instant classic, and it shows. Had Madonna wanted to do an album of eleven bangers, one right after the other, she could have done it in her sleep. She and Shep Pettibone and Tony Shimkin. Yes, though I would I would counter you and say this is a album of bangers. They're just not all traditional da- straight down the line bangers. yes i'm saying pop dance songs yes 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 but what a beautiful delicious i mean it is a delicious song this is the earliest song that they worked on i think this is the music that um hooked madonna to work with chet pettibone he sent her this track he sent her four track while she was filming um uh, a league of their own in michigan this was one of those tracks and started working on it and it there is something thrilling and alchemic about this song. It's it's the way that the lyrics just kind of skate over meaning. You kind of know what she's talking about. You kind of don't. Yes. There's mystery in the song. There's propulsion. The lyrics push the song forward as much as the music does. Um, we get familiar... Madonna tropes of the mother and the father and love and believing in love even though she's been heartbroken. There's an interesting darkness to the song. Yes, yes, I think you're absolutely right because I think it's both like it's not it's not the same purity of an earlier, you know, kind of Madonna track like get into the groove. It's sort of like there's some gravitas. There's some like I've been hurt, I've been around the block, but I still can't help falling in love. And I know what that means, and I know what the risks are. Yes, now. but I'm willing to take them. I I don't care if I come out a little more bruised. It's worth the risk. And probably the bruise is part of being in love. 
Yes. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. Oh. Yes. Her voice is straight down the middle, Madonna. It's the voice we hear in Vogue. It's the big voice of Express Yourself. It's right in line with those tracks. This was the second single for the album. Yes. And which, I think this was this was when everyone at the record company was like, ooh, erotica's kind of racy. We better have something lined up. And they had Deeper and Deeper. Yeah. It came out in November, at the end of 19, of November of 1992, right after, with Within a month of the record coming out and it's it was a huge huge hit it made it sold it was a huge hit yeah it wasn't a number one there no. are no number ones from this album no and i think the first album where there are no number ones of I, her believe career. So. I believe so i believe so because i even think this used to be my playground was a number one right before this album was released but this is the first album you know where we're starting to see a little crack yeah you know which is fine it, it seems ultimately like madonna doesn't care but like this i think got to number five yes it was um, a number five and the other thing is is like we're in the middle of grunge and we're yeah. in the middle of like an alternative music moment on uh, in in popular culture and so you have all of these very intense uh singer songwriters who are very obsessed with authenticity and it's a lot of bands nirvana pearl jam all of these bands rem's automatic for the people was the biggest album mm. of this year so to have madonna playing with those people is an extraordinary and the fact she's making this kind of music because deeper and deeper fits in that canon of songs with those people and those and that vibe of that time well it's a good counter to them i mean in a way it's like all artifice though her vo vocals there's something so true about it but, oh yeah but it's also very like um fanta fantastical like you know what i mean like the, even that little riff at the beginning that dun 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 I mean yeah. this is just like a call to another world it's a call to the floor it's a call to escape you know it's uh, I, I I this is probably one of my top five Madonna songs <laughs> I know I've said this before but your top five list has like 20 songs on it no but I do um, I think this is one and I remember when I got this album and I got the CD in that box in in on October 21st 1992 and I went home and played it and when I got to this song I lost my mind and I knew I could feel it in my bones what it was yeah and then I would be listening and it's one of the few times because I'm very instinctual about music but it was one of the few times when I knew I would be listening in this song for the rest of my life mm, and I yeah, mean this I yeah. mean this very seriously I'm not trying to be there are songs you listen to and it's like oh I'm gonna listen to this all summer and I'm never gonna listen to it again and you know are these these people I'm having a moment with like you know Debbie Gibson or something but this <laughs> song man it was like I I'm going I want to hear this song every day for the rest of my life. It's canonical. Oh. <laughs> um enter Donna and Nikki, welcome back. Yes, Thank finally you so called to the studio Thank to you record so some much. things. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. And my friend Jonathan Norton, who's going to talk to us later I in can't the episode, um, has a lot to say about Donna and Nikki. So we'll, we'll save that. But I will say that the sweetness of their vocals, um, which I actually think are pulled back a little bit in the track, yeah. um, are still just so good. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about the part where it's... Um, 
there's another voice in the track. So there's her voice. I mean, it's not another voice, but it's another sound, which mm-hmm. I think is her voice just turned down a little bit. It's like, not going to give you love away. Yeah. I'm going to be, you know, is that her? Yes. Oh, totally. It's her. So it's just her with her voice turned yeah. into a different yeah. sound. She's communicating. Right? She's, she's talking to herself. Mm-hmm. She's kind of giving herself a pep talk. Uh-huh. As she kind of walks to the, walks towards love again, mm. she's like, "Come on, I can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can yeah. do this." I want to talk about the famous bridge with the flamenco because that's a polarizing moment in the recording studio. This is a moment where I feel like Madonna. Whenever anybody says, "Oh, Madonna's a studio creation by her producers," this is a moment where I'm like, "No." Because Madonna insisted on having a flamenco show, a flamenco guitar show up in the song during that bridge. And when you hear it, it's such a left turn. Not a disco song. And yet, I think it is disco because it reminds me of ABBA. Yes, but there's something something so strange and avant-garde about that flamenco just showing up. Mm -hmm. And yet, it fits perfectly in the song. Yes, it fits so perfectly. And it does my other favorite thing of all time of Madonna, which is Madonna with acoustic guitar yeah. because then when we hear the court when they're really playing the chords at the end when they're going deeper and deeper yeah. and you just hear it against the guitar I mean that is like everything I want in a Madonna song And I think it's a shout out to her moving to Miami. It's the Miami oh, thing. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a reference to her her Miami. The flamenco stuff. isn't quite Miami. No, but, but it's like you know, it's 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 that kind of like she's doing a gesture because she wants she wants the clubs in Miami to play it. Sure, or she also could be very. We could also take a sa- uh, cynical view and be like, my big Latin American audience <laughs> needs one one time where they hear something. I need a La Isla Bonita chef, <laughs> and it's just gonna have to be in here. <laughs> I but, don't think so. But I, I think, think so. I think their I think um uh Shep Pettibone and Tony Shimkin's minds were blown once they heard it because yeah. it does work and it does take the song because the the other brilliant thing about this song is the way that the pieces move to build it. It's constantly moving to an, another level. It never and Madonna songs never really settle into a groove that just stays in a groove. Right. And the this is one where it just keeps getting better and better and boom, 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 yes, boom. Yes, just builds and builds and builds. And then there's the shout out. Oh yeah, yeah, right. I mean. I feel like, well, how do you feel about the shout out? Because I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, I remember being concerned <laughs> when I heard the shout out. And I was, fif- I, was I think, 15. Was I 15 in 1992? I think I was 15. And I remember being very concerned <laughs> that Madonna had run out of ideas oh. because her quoting back yourself a Vogue line, which, you know, is a great line. But I remember being like, oh, Madonna's already, uh, are we already, I mean, Ma- uh, Vogue had been 
out two years before. Yeah. Like, why are we, why are we, for someone who's so forward thinking. Yeah. It's I'm very... kind of surprised that she would, she would go shout back so, so quickly and so um, recently. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I remember when it came out that I liked it. But I did have a same kind of question of like, this is a very interesting choice at the end of the song. Does it devalue deeper and deeper? Does it make you compare it to Vogue? Mm. And then I think like, no, in a way, it like gives you that release you want at the end. And it gives the falling in love, falling in love, like an even richer feel. But I remember listening to demos of the song where that's not part of it and not missing it. Yes, but I don't know how you get to the cathartic um, release at the end without it now. Like, I think about the times that I've, you know, because they will do, um, here in New York, they will do regularly at the different anniversaries, the um, uh, listening party for Erotica, and they'll play the whole album in a club, usually Nowhere Bar on on um, 14th Street and 1st Avenue. And... Deeper and Deeper comes on, everybody stops whatever they're doing, and we all dance together to that song. No matter what's going on, people who hate Madonna, who are there just, you know, because a friend wanted to come in, they all stop. And when you get to that moment in the song, it just, it lifts it to the the next thing. So I don't know what else she could say there that would do the same thing. Um, so let's talk about the video. Um, a, a huge, uh, expensive, big video shot yes. in Hollywood in the fall of 1993. Yes. Directed by Bobby Woods. Bobby Woods, who who, who directed the Deeper and Deeper video. <laughs> <laughs> he was he worked at Maverick. Yes. And I think he was just, Madonna basically needed someone who would do what she said. Yeah. Because there's great pictures of her... Um, outline for the video that she's written in hand about what's going to happen. And that is literally what happens in the video. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark, you have um, had a 180 about this video. I've had a journey with Deeper and Deeper um, in the in the recent weeks. Um, I've been listening to it a lot again. Um, I listen to it all the time. I love Deeper and Deeper. But um, I, I was, I felt when rewatching the video, there's so much going on. There's so many people in it. There's yeah. so many worlds. There's so many images. And when we get to the photo shoot, she kind of <laughs> loses with the crimped hair. She kind of loses me. I'm like, what is up with this nonsense? This narrative bugaboo that this, this song has become. There's just so much going on. And I, and I do feel like that, that like... You know, it's her. It's her record company. She can spend however much money she wants, and and you see all of it in the video. And it doesn't. It wasn't cohering into a form that I could 
grab my hands around. Though, though imagery, image-wise, I was like, oh my God, I love this. I love that. I love, I love the moment. My One of my favorite moments in all of Madonna video history is the moment when she is in the club looking for some, she's looking for people. She's yeah, like, who, yeah. who do I know? And then she kind of notices everybody. She goes, okay. And then she starts to dance. Yes. And then they all dance together. She's in a line dance at one point. Yes. I'm like, this is amazing. Well, that's one of the things Bobby Wood said is that I've been out dancing with Madonna and there's nothing as euphoric as being out on the dance floor with her. And I thought he captured that feeling really, really well. And we don't really see that again until like uh, Ray of Light. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that the video is telling a story. I would say it's a European story. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, it's a little abstract. It's she's this innocent or she used to be innocent and she's no longer. She's brought back these balloons. No. Okay. So here's here's the story of Deeper go, and Deeper. Go. Okay. So Madonna. So we have to start with Udo Care. Udo Care is uh, the film director and actor who was in... Um, Visconti's uh, films. He was a muse, and he plays this kind of tyrannical, like thought leader, director slash kind of Warholian person. And at the beginning of the video, he's speaking in, I think, German, and he says, "Beware! Our idols and demons will pursue us until we learn to let them go," mm. which I find very important to the song. Go on. Madonna plays a model who has come back from somewhere. <laughs> a former model. A former model who's yeah. come back to Hollywood. She's driving, one of our favorite things yes. we love to see Madonna do. Convertible. With some balloons. I think it's the same car from Burning Up. I hope it is. <laughs> I do. I hope it is. I hope they've kept it. I think I think um, Anthony Ciccone has been tasked with keeping the car yes, in good shape. Just in case. I don't know when I'm going to need it, Anthony. <laughs> but Please I'm going to need it. it. Yeah. And she's Hello, got, Anthony. <laughs> I'm making my video. Bring me my Bring car. Bring me the back. car. It's time. <laughs> it's time, Anthony. So she she comes to, back to an old haunt, this club that she's, she's coming to. She's looking like a little bit like Edie Sedgwick meets um, Zita? Mrs. Roper from, <laughs> from Three's Company. Yes. I hate that dress. So she's wearing I, this, don't, I don't mind. The she's dress. wearing this dress that just kind of hangs off her with this feathered coat and she, her bra straps are all in the place. She's a mess. So she ties the balloons to It's a what bar. she had. She's been out of the scene for a couple of years. She was like, well, I think this will work with the dark lights. So right. she gets to the club. She's saying hello to all these people and it's, it's everybody. Um, uh, Notorious Ingrid Cesaris and Seymour <sighs> Stein are there together. Guy O'Siri in a black wig is there doing a hand slap with Madonna. Not her manager yet. Joey Stefano and Chichi LaRue from gay porn from the eighties. Yes, Joey Stefano, the greatest bottom of all times. Is he? I mean, he that I think that he was may his be. nom de plume. Yeah, he was the bottom, a beautiful ass, and he just like smiled the whole time he was getting fucked. But I think he's just probably high. Hollywood lawn from the Warhol era. I mean, all of these people are just kind of hanging out in the club. Yeah. Madonna's looking around for somebody. She's searching. She can't find anybody. Meanwhile, we flash back. Yes. To a younger, simpler time. Madonna's in an afro with a very heavily made up <laughs> Debbie Mazur. And Sophia Coppola. 
doing tarot and sitting in a in a living room with a uh, a young gentleman who's doing muscle poses on a mattress on the floor, very Warholian, eating yes. bananas like they do like, to shout out Velvet Underground and Nico. Yes, see, it's it's this hodgepodge of references, and I'm just like, what's going to happen next on this? So she goes into the underground of the club looking for her guru. She's a little scared though. She's a little scared. She's a little vulnerable. The light has turned black and white again. That's oh, yes. where, where she knows she's in danger. Also, I think that this was probably where she got into her most trouble. You know, this yes. is probably what she left. Yes. You know? She finds her guru, Udo Care. They try to connect again via hand signs and a and a um a tarot reading. And then somebody starts popping her balloons. But wait, you did skip the whole photo shoot in the middle. Can't we just skip the photo shoot in the <laughs> well, middle? Well, we can, but that's sort of the part of the story of like who she once was. Tell me about the photo shoot, Kenny. It's just her. Like she has a beret on. Her hair is crimped. Right. She's doing these little photo shoots. It's it's a different person. It's like from another time. It's clearly it's what it's I during call the her, flamenco period yes, of the song yes. during the bridge. It's what I would call her Gia story. It's like here's you know Gia the model. Right. This is the moments we're seeing how fabulous she was as a model. Which yes. FYI, it's not really like the best. <laughs> you know, part of it. Like, oh God! Madonna isn't necessarily that kind of model. So, so after anyway. we see the, the <laughs> after we see Madonna's photo book, <laughs> she um she connects with her guru and realizes when her balloons stop pop, start being popped by the man with the cigar at the She's bar. Gotta go. She can never go home again. Mm. And nostalgia is a trap. So she chases. She runs out of the bar. She's trying to, she gets her balloon. She gets outside the bar. The door slams shut. She's made it. The guru appears. He cuts her balloons and they float into the air, mm. meaning you can never really get rid of your past. Nope. And that's that. That's the story of the video. Which, you know, I, I love this video too. Again, video erotic as fashion. The video is like all these different, you're right. It is a, a um, how would you say, a poo-poo platter of images um, however they the, the whole me, menu they it, ordered the whole menu let's like, just we'll get the whole menu one of everything yeah we'll have a little of that um but i do love to mark this goes to the point of like oh she could have made a whole album of deeper and deepers yeah she could have made a different kind of video for this that would have been more palatable with that song well and this is why i've come around to it because i've come around to it since since we've been discussing it i think what it does well is it showcases how memory the tricks memory plays on you because i think of the way that the different pieces of the video never quite come together the world of the disco is very different than the world of like that bedroom where they have the pillow yeah. fight and udo care is there doing a dance i mean it's very random and weird yeah and and fun and sexy and and well it's like all for a movie that was never made yes do you know what i mean yes <laughs> totally oh my gosh but I totally love i love that that's a that's you know I, I would say when we get to Bad Girl that there's something, well, that's a more cohesive, much more cohesive narrative. But again, it feels like for a full length feature that was condensed into four minutes or five minutes, you know. And that's what I can get on with. And and as I as I was watching the video again, I was like, God, the, the, the complexity of what she's trying to do. 
yeah is really what's impressive i mean but i would say it's a more successful video than the video i think that is a hearkening back to it which is god control which is oh yeah do you know what i mean like it's more successful in its abstractness than god control which almost takes out all the abstract well and i like how the pieces of of deeper and deeper i love the ending of the video when the balloons get cut and that's it um i also love how the pieces never quite fit together just like our memories don't quite Mm -hmm. like we never know quite what the narrative is what the what the actual truths are yeah we just kind of get these moments and mm. but again at that that moment when she's dancing it's gorgeous and she listens the dj gives her the oh, headphones yeah. i love that moment and it's just it, yeah. it, it's madonna at her freest and her most and that that feels like real life yeah. that feels like madonna in a club in that time in 1993 period, yeah because yes. like when we go to 1998-99 and we're having um drowned world substitute for love and she's walking through a club and everybody's a monster yeah you know is it different or, or it's grotesque a different, yeah it's a different time um let's talk about the the remixes a little bit. yes the yes. mixes are incredible for this agreed 100 percent. and what i love the the I, I keep coming back to the remixes on erotica because for me these remixes taught me what was possible with mixes and dance and and DJs. Um, I didn't really notice that. I was I was a top forty kid, and so to start buying and I and I was making my own money. I had a job and everything, so I was able to buy my own records and my own CDs. And these were the things I bought. And to have this song be broken down so much and put back together in all the, these weird, interesting ways is just really cool. And yes, Shep does a lot of the mixes himself. And I think some of them, I wonder how many of them would have been the actual song had he had his way with the way they were recording. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think the mix that I love the best is David's club mix. Is that the one that starts with like the organ? Yes, yes. And that's what they David Morales, man. Yeah. He does a, He also does the Buenos Aires mix. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, he that mix then is sort of the beginning, the groundwork for the live performance. Yeah. Um, in uh, the girly show, though they don't start with the organ, but it's that sense of fullness and fun and sort of where the song goes after the song is technically over. Yeah. Is really thrilling. 
And, and I love how the, the remixes, and each remix is different in this unique way, in a way that later in her career, they're not. And each one is its own listening experience, using the song as like a bass, but then going off in all these directions. The moods are different. Mm. I just think it's so interesting and, and exploratory and almost yeah. kind of like drafts of the of the finished song in this way. Yeah. Well, this was the early 90s, and certainly in New York, it was a time of great experimentation and freedom. And you're right, this deconstruction and reconstruction of the songs yeah. of like, here, okay, we can take any of these tracks and pull them out and put something else in. It's the beginning of a whole, you know, Janet Jackson does the same thing in the coming year. Mariah Carey starts to do it too, but I would say Madonna starts it, you know. And 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 allows for other beats to come in. Because yes. I can imagine a DJ taking some of these stripped down versions and layering other music over it. To yeah, really, well that's what they're there for. Yeah. yeah, they're there to be, to mix into the She's club. there for the dance floor. Yeah. Always. Always. She performed it live uh, three times on tour, uh, very memorably in the girly show as part of the uh, Express Yourself medley. Um, not medley, she sang Express Yourself, then she sang Deeper and Deeper, yes. then she sang Why Is It So Hard, And um, but the, the music never stops, they just yes. keep going. And um, it's fabulous. It's a fantastic performance, which we'll get into more when we talk about girly show, but it's And then phenomenal. she does a weird version in the reinvention tour. I don't want to talk about about it. And then <laughs> it's painful for Kenny. And then she returns back to its original kind of like uh, roots for the, um, the Rebel Heart. for the Rebel Heart tour. Yeah, and that and that was great. I mean, I remember seeing that and being like, "Oh, I'm getting to see fine, like, you know, deeper and deeper." Yeah. In fact, it's more traditional version than they she did on the Girly Show. It's yeah. kind of like exactly lifted from the, from the album show, yeah from the film without Though, the shout out without the vogue shout out which she also never does in vogue anymore either she doesn't do that end part we age out of everything kenny you know why why nostalgia is a trap who don't care I'm introducing my friend, uh, Jonathan Norton. Jonathan is a playwright based in Dallas, Texas. He's currently the playwright in residence at the Dallas Theater Center. Congratulations. Um, his first Madonna tour was Sticky and Sweet. Interesting entry into the Madonna canon. And he's seen every tour since. And he actually made his mom buy a laser disc player so that he could watch the Blonde Ambition tour since they didn't have cable and he didn't get to see it on HBO. So first of all, okay, welcome, Jonathan. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I first wanted to hear about, well, now that um, we just I just read this, I'm wondering, like, can you talk a little bit about the conversation you had with your mom where you convinced her to get this laser disc? Like, how did this happen? I, I actually... Um, I recruit. I recruited my aunt 
my aunt Rain to help me out here because she, and I, I did it by saying that somehow or another getting a laser disc was really important and useful for my development as a young art, artist and maybe potential filmmaker because I could like get laser disc and like study them and it was all new and special, got special features some bullshit I made up, I don't know. And so I convinced my Aunt Rain it was a good idea. And then my mom, my Aunt Rain was kind of like the go-between between me and my mom, my mom. And so Aunt Rain talked to my mom and convinced her that it was, it was a laser disc was would be a great thing for my um, professional development. Mm -hmm. Nothing at all was said about Madonna. <laughs> London Vision Tour, never brought any of that up. And uh, we we buy the laser disc player. And then uh, soon after that, I, I purchased the um, the Blind Ambition laser disc thing, which up until a couple of years ago, I still had it. And I don't, I don't know where it is now. Um, and the funny thing was, obviously, that was the only, like, disc I ever purchased. Like, I haven't seen anything else on LaserDisc ever. Like, nothing. Like, that was the only thing I had on LaserDisc. Only thing. Um, that's, I, I was going to ask you, like, did you buy mo many laser discs? But clearly, <laughs> I know it's just the one thing. you didn't buy a body of evidence on laser disc. No, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it was because the, the thing about blind emission was so special and apparently you could only get it on laser disc and whatever. And it's like, okay, fine, Madonna. That's what I have to do. That's what I have to do. And I couldn't do cable because to do cable, to try to go to someone's house, like a family member's house, and potentially watch it with family around. It's like, well, that's not going to happen. We're here to talk about deeper and deeper. When I when we had talked a while ago, and I was like, oh, you have to come on, you have to come on. And I was like, what song from Erotica would you want to talk about? Without hesitation, you said deeper and deeper. So tell me, why this song? Deeper and deeper for me, um, and I think, I guess, with erotica overall but it feels like it's specifically representative in this this particular song it felt to me when i i heard it um as a song on an overall body of work on an, on an al album um it was just my first encounter of it it was so new it's just such a new sound for me to encounter from madonna uh, and that was really thrilling and it has this weird kind of like disco house kind of merging thing, but then also wants to have like that weird little like, what's the thing, the little Latin thing kind of happens. In yes, the yes. And you're like, okay, what's happening here, you know? But um, it's just a new sound for her. And, and I think overall, like with erotica, but again, especially represented here, uh, was the idea that she was working with new collaborators, um, which, it didn't have much of a an impact on me at the time because I was too young um, to understand what really what any of that would mean or the impact of it. But I think that now that I'm older, um, uh, just thinking about the um, the risk that that's involved in that 
and how it, I feel like it paid off. How old were you when Erotica came out? Do you remember getting the tape or the CD or how did, you know, like what form did you get it in and what was your experience of getting that album? 16, I think. Um, and I got it in the, the CD, the CD form. I likely would have purchased it at a Walmart. <laughs> That's just really weird, whatever it's going on. Um, it was likely at a Walmart, and I'm quite sure that I had some amount of, I wouldn't say shame, there was no shame involved, but certainly some amount of like, kind of like looking over your shoulder as you're purchasing it, or, or giving a look to the person who like, who's selling it to you because there's that sense of, oh, why are you buying this? You know what I mean? It was that time. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, when you had the album, when you had the CD at home, would you play it like through your speakers or did you put it on headphones? Like were you like in your house, could you play Madonna and feel okay? Or was it not something you shared with other people or yeah. What was your, that, that relationship to listening? It was something I could completely only share it to myself. <laughs> and I, um, I, I don't recall having, it sounds so primitive, but I don't recall actually having um, a Walkman until like until college for some weird, strange reason. Um, and so I just listened to it in my bedroom. Um, and I, I think there was, I'm trying to remember, and I'm pretty sure, because you know, I think there was, because I think it, that's the point when everyone had like, you had like, the clean version and then you had like the regular version, right? And yep. so I would play it at that time. My mom, at that point, it was just me and my mom. And so I could only play it when my mom was at work. Mm -hmm. So that would have either have been, there was one point when she would be at work like when I got home from school and then typically she would come home sometime around 10 or 11. And then there was another point where she was literally working the mid. The, the graveyard shift. So, but yeah, I could like only listen to it when my mom was in the house. And did you have friends that you shared your Madonna love with or, you know, in high school or, or later? Um, I knew of, I know it's funny. I only really knew of one other girl. I went to a performing arts high school. Uh, so you would imagine that a performing arts high school, like everybody would love Madonna. But um, I don't have a really strong memory that that was really true um, at all. But it's funny because like now that I'm older and like on you know on Facebook or social media and uh, friends revealing their love of certain Madonna songs or certain Madonna like moments or eras that I was never aware of at the time that they, um, that they shared. But I think also I was probably not that it's probably not that public about my love of Madonna at the time because I was also still at that that space of not of not being out or still figuring out what was happening you know what I mean and so I think it's very true that like for so many people that uh Madonna was like a huge part of of being on that journey and and figuring all of this stuff out. Um, like I remember vividly, I wanted to watch Truth or Dare and uh, I was mentioning it to my mom. And this might've been 
before I had uh, a feeling to be really cautious about um, exhibiting my interest or love in Madonna, but I was like telling my mom that I wanted to see Truth or Dare and my uncle was like, oh no, you can't do that. I heard it's a bunch of, you know, and then the F word, that whole thing. And that was, that was kind of like my introduction to, oh, this is this kind of thing that you have to kind of, that you have to be somewhat uh, careful or, or protective of who you share like most of this album like we're sort of breaking new ground like i think with deeper and deeper what's interesting is it's totally new to me but also totally connected to the sound that she had been building for the last couple of years and it's such a sweet song but there's also like a bitterness or you know when mark and i were talking about it we talked about it being sort of like a song that's like you've been around the block a couple of times you've been hurt but you're still gotta get you gotta do it you can't not love this is the first on the album this is the entrance of nikki and donna who haven't been on the the first three tracks of the album and so i know you have a particular love for nikki and donna so i i i'm i'm giving you the floor to say any and all things you want to say about them in the song or them in general and their impact on madonna's work this sounds very severe and very harsh okay but there are times when I wonder if it were not for Nikki and Donna, would I be as big of a Madonna fan as, as I am? Um, I, I became a, a, a fan of hers. Like, I, I kind of missed like the whole Like a Virgin thing kind of went over my head and not like that I didn't get it, but it was just wasn't like the sound or style or anything. That was particularly interesting to me and Insector on all of it. Like there were moments like, oh, that's kind of cool, but it wasn't anything that completely galvanized me. So it wasn't until like like the whole Life of Prayer era that I became a huge Madonna fan. And somehow or another, I, I just associate Nikki and Donna very strongly with that. And the other reason why I've always been such a huge fan of Madonna was because of her um, her her talent and her skill, uh, her quality. At in live performance, which I've also always associated Nikki and Dono with that as well. Um, so there's a huge part of my brain that finds it really difficult to like separate Madonna from Nikki and Dono. Although, you know, obviously my brain has had to do that for the last what, 15 years or however long uh, that I feel they've forced madonna to kind of step her game up and i know so many people can be like what do you mean step her game up she's madonna that kind of thing but um i think that she madonna had uh a, a woman to her left and a woman to her right who if if she was not like on point every single night or every single performance these two people to her left and her right could easily just kind of take over and outshine her if if given the opportunity, which Madonna would never allow that to happen. But it's like she she had to really own that spotlight. And remember, this was a time to a retainer. Wow, you got a retainer. I got too? a retainer. Now, of all the years when I did, I never got a retainer for any of the artists I work with. 
Um, and that's probably un- unbelievable because there were people who got retainers, but that's something. Yeah, I think, and I think, like I said, it was a lot by. because we were really get, the two of us. We were really giving her a sound at that uh-huh, point. Uh-huh. I think once again, this could be my ego talking. I don't know. That was really smart of her. I think it's always brilliant when you find a group, especially if you're starting out and you're trying to establish your brand. And your sound. I think Pat Leonard too, her producer knew. Like, oh, Pat! That he yeah. knew. He knew that this is a great sound. Like, yes. These girls deserve it. Like they're and they're working. Was on he the MD at that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, you were made in shape. Yeah. I love yeah. me some Patrick Leonard. Yeah. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. Do I have to listen to this? See, that's why I want my radio on. Those girls annoy me. I miss them. I mean, I miss Madonna with like true friends on stage. That means so much to me that you just said that. <laughs> like, um, I feel that, and you know, earlier I was saying the thing about how um, they, you know, they they forced her to, like step up her game or whatever. But I think to be even more. Uh, if I'm being really, really precise about it, um, it feels like it just really forced her to be more human. Mm. Um, and to be able to have uh, people on, uh, artists on stage who they, they, who should to actually have a, what feels like a really warm, uh, genuine, rapport with and it doesn't always it doesn't really feel that way as much anymore just because they're, they're younger dancers and and uh and they're more like and of course nikki and donna were her you know they worked for her and they were her employees you know uh and but it also felt like they had that kind of sisterhood thing where they could also be honest with madonna and and tell her like what they thought and what was going on and uh, and have a, a voice in in shaping like, the music. Mm-hmm.